Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome to Episode 8 of Conspiracy Unlimited. On Saturday, December the 9th, there was a mass sighting of approximately 100 lights flying in a tight formation across the United States. In typical fashion, the U.S. Air Force is now saying those lights were approximately 100 C-17 military transport planes flying in tight formation. Utter hogwash, says my guest. Utter hogwash. In order for the C-17s to have gone from Florida to Denver to Wyoming and to Montana, excursions to Wyoming and Montana, they're covering 2,000 to 2,500 miles in an hour and a half or less, which means the transports had to have been flying at supersonic speeds. The Air Force position just doesn't make an ounce of sense at all, in my opinion. This podcast is brought to you by Logo Creator 7 Software. These days, it's more important than ever to have a good image, especially if you have a small business or if you're selling stuff online or posting on social media. But quality graphics can cost money, and advanced software like Photoshop takes time to learn. That's why I want to tell you about some amazing piece of software called Creator 7. Creator 7 is so easy to use, yet it lets you create super-looking logos, business cards, character mascots, you name it, in just minutes. Whatever you create is going to look super cool and very impressive. Creator 7 comes with hundreds of ready-made templates. Just click and drag to make changes, and instantly you have really impressive graphics right on your computer. Some clever folks have even ordered the Creator 7 software to start their own logo-making business, creating and selling logos and graphics for a profit. That's how good it is, but you won't believe the price. Creator 7 creates beautiful logos and designs right on your computer and works on either PC or Mac. And right now, it's available at an amazing price. To see it in action, just visit RadioShowLogo.com. That's RadioShowLogo.com. RadioShowLogo.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Sunday, December 10th, I was just settling into the studio to host Coast to Coast AM when I received an urgent email from Peter Davenport, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center, 
and his email was a summary of an event that just may turn out to be a major UFO occurrence. It happened above and across the United States the night before, Saturday, December the 9th. In brief, one or more clusters of bright red lights traveled from east to west, from the east coast to California, giving rise to approximately 60 reports being submitted to the National UFO Reporting Center. And Peter explained that New Fork received reports from Florida, South Carolina, Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Washington, and California, with people reporting essentially the same cluster of perhaps 100 or more lights seen by many to be maneuvering relative to one another. A very dramatic collection of sightings, it would appear. Peter Davenport has been director of the National UFO Reporting Center since 1994. Additionally, he has served as the director of investigation for the Washington chapter of the Mutual UFO Network. Peter, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Thank you, Richard. I'm doing well, and I'm really looking forward to this uh this interview with you tonight, to the best of my knowledge, we have not done an interview together, have we? Uh, I was actually thinking about that before we went to uh, to air tonight, and I do recall we did a, um, it was a story, my my colleague Victor Vigiani and I talked to you oh, about this yes. fireball in the sky that streaked across southwestern Ontario a number of oh, years yes. ago. Oh, yes. Oh, that was a good, that was a good case. Yes. I'm delighted I talked about it uh, with people from Ontario listening. But that it was, was Friday morning, the uh, 25th of August, 1995, and it's one of my best cases, remains one of the best with the best video I think I've ever seen. Hmm. Uh, regardless, it's been too long, and my fault entirely, but I'm glad we have you uh, with us now. So this, well, thank you. This I'm email delighted that, to be here, too. Thank you. This email that uh, that you sent... Um, do you still feel now that a few days have passed that this could be a major, major occurrence? I think so. And in fact, I've been in touch with Jan Harzan, the international director of MUFON, about this one. <clears throat> I sent him an email with a heads up on this uh, Saturday night, the 9th of December, the night it was occurring. And he quickly sent out messages to his state directors and it looks as though they got similar reports to ours, and they have started, initiated a uh, major investigation of the incident. They agree that it uh, appears to, has all the appearances of being a major event. Do we have a timeline? So from the first <clears throat> sighting in the east to the last sighting in California as it moved from the east coast to the west coast, yes. the timing of that? I don't have all of those figures in front of me, but the first call I received from the East Coast was about 5.45 p.m. Pacific time or 8.45 p.m. Uh, East Coast time. And it took approximately one to two hours for the objects to travel from Florida and South Carolina out to Colorado. That's about 1,500 miles the reason I mention that, Richard, is the Air Force has now made an official statement that they don't know what people are talking about. This sounds like remnants of the, the Phoenix Lights case of uh, March 1997 when the Air Force declared that those objects over people's heads were nothing but flares seen over a nearby firing range. They're doing the same thing up with this one. The Air Force has declared that they don't know what people are talking about, except uh, the Air Force had a, a cluster, allegedly, of C-17 military transport aircraft in the area of Denver that gave rise to all of those reports and videos that were given to a television station there. The problem is it does not account for all of the other sightings in Montana and Wyoming and Kansas and Missouri and South Carolina. So I think it's uh, not to be too blunt on the subject, but I think it's just hogwash, Richard. Well, the uh, <clears throat> the other interesting thing is um, we, 
as you say, those unless those C-17 transport planes were flying from Florida all the way to California, that wouldn't yeah. account for those sightings. Uh, but also, exactly. the, I'm wondering about the speed, uh, because if the um, the cluster was seen traveling from Florida and then to Colorado in approximately, what did you say, about two hours? Hour and a half. An hour and a half. My estimate. Could a C-17 traverse that? No. No. <laughs> I mean, what kind of an airspeed would we, would, we, would we be talking about with these I legs? set off to make that point, and I didn't clinch the point, did I? Uh, in order for the C-17s to have gone from Florida to Denver to Wyoming and to Montana, uh, excursions to Wyoming and Montana, they're covering two to, oh, 2,000 to 2,500 miles in an hour and a half or less, which means the transports had to have been flying at supersonic speeds. And yet they were also seen at Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri, Rolla, Missouri, Hayes, Kansas, and other points as as well, which means that they had to have been flying fast enough to make those excursions and make the distance from Florida to Colorado at beyond supersonic speeds. So the Air Force position just doesn't make an ounce of sense at all, in my opinion. Initially, the U- U.S. Air Force said they had 100 C-17 transport planes flying in tight formation. Does the U.S. Air Force even have 100 C-17s? <laughs> You're asking some uh, probing questions, and those are the same questions that I'm asking uh, I don't think they do. Originally, the C-17 contract was for 247 transports. They didn't manufacture that many. So let's say there were 100, although people have retracted on that number and now said, I've been told 17 C-17s and now 12 C-17s. So they backed away from the original figure of 100, uh, to the best of my knowledge. This is still an investigation in process, so everything I say, of course, is tentative. But uh, I've talked to the MUFON uh, director of their A-team of investigators, and she agrees with my assessment that there's something really, really amiss with the U.S. Air Force position on this incident. I think they're they're spoon-feeding news organizations with disinformation to get them off the scent. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. 
Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. And the reports that came into New Fork and um, MUFON regarding this occurrence, are they pretty consistent in terms of the description of the cluster, the number of lights, the color of the lights, the formation? Almost universal, Richard. And it's a good question. And almost everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody, described one or more very large clusters of red lights Some people said the red lights were three times the size of Venus in the morning sky. That's a very, very prominent object in the nighttime sky. Uh, People in, uh, I think it was Rolla, Missouri, reported that they had seen not fewer than 100 red lights in a single cluster. And many of these reports are now posted to the website ufocenter.com but not all of them, because some people don't submit their written reports as follow-up to their telephone calls for days or weeks. So there are many more reports that are pending than just those on our website. After I, after you were kind enough to send me that email, and I announced it on Coast to Coast on Sunday, December the 10th, right off the top of the program. I heard uh, it. So since- you did it. A- Wonderful job. Well, you gave me the script. I was just letting the folks know what you wanted, you know, wanted them to know. But how many reports came in after that? I would say a dozen or two have filtered in, but not many at all. Not nearly as many as I would have expected, given the dramatic, apparently the dramatic nature of this event. But it's terribly disappointing how few people will report a UFO sighting, even if requested they do so. Uh, but I will, I'm still getting reports. In fact, I got one beautiful report from Laurel, Montana. I had talked to this gentleman sometime on Sunday, I believe, and he commented that he had very good video. Indeed, he does. He sent a link to his video. And we will have that posted, I hope, tomorrow afternoon to our website. But it is wonderful video, and it shows dozens of craft spread out across the sky, uh, moving very, very slowly. And an interesting point, too, Richard, that sort of clinches the case that these were not transport aircraft, is many people have reported that the object's appeared to them to just hover motionless in the nighttime sky and silently. So C-17s are sophisticated transport aircraft, but they're not so sophisticated that they can hover motionless in the sky. And another significant point is everybody reported that the objects exhibited red lights. Nobody reported that they had green lights. And that is significant because, of course, as I'm sure you know and many of our listeners know, any aircraft flying at night has to have a red light on its left wing tip and a green light on its right wing tip. So for those people who saw the objects flying from their left to right, they should have seen a green light, but instead they saw a red light. So not only if the Air Force position is correct, 
not only were they C-17 transports, and a lot of them in a very small cluster, but they were exhibiting illegally installed lights. They had red <laughs> lights on their starboard wing. So in other words, I think we can logically conclude that the Air Force position is a specious one. The uh, the terminus uh, of this flyover in California, The last, uh, are you able to sort of plot this so that you know the, the very last sighting and, and approximately where it was? I'm, what I'm getting at is I'm wondering, did this, did this cluster just keep going off the coast of California or where did it appear to have stopped? Yeah, that's one of the most frustrating parts of ufology is trying to pin down all of those eminently reasonable questions. Where did they go? Another question is, where did they come from? If they started in Florida, and that's sort of a questionable report. I have not received a written report from that party yet. Uh, where did they come from? And why haven't ships at sea reported them? Why haven't people who were aboard boats contacted either the National UFO Reporting Center or MUFON to report what they had seen. So I, I don't have an answer for you, but that's an answer that I hope we will be able to come up with as we perform the investigation. I would say between me and MUFON, we have approximately 100 reports at this point. I mention that number because when one stops to consider how many people across the United States had an opportunity to see an immense display of intensely bright red lights, it boggles the imagination. It, it would have to be in the millions. Them. It would have to be in the millions. Easily. Maybe the tens of millions or even hundreds of millions. I think we've received reports from a dozen or 14 states to this point. And again, they're still coming in. So how many people would have been able to see them? I think you're right. Millions is the answer to that question. And yet we only have about 100 reports. That is frustrating. Uh, yes, it is. And um, the the tone, the tone of the, the, the re reports. I mean, are people, as they're reporting this, are they panicked? Are they... Uh, frightened? Are they excited? Can you get a sense of that? I know these are written yeah. written reports, but... All of the above. Well, I've talked to many of these people on the telephone, and you do get a, as you correctly imply, a very good sense of emotion when you're talking to a person who's just seen a display of lights, the likes of which you and I are talking about here tonight. Uh, they were aghast one fellow on the west shore of uh, Lake of the Ozarks in central Missouri called and he left a very emotional message about what he had seen. He said he's never seen anything like it. The only problem with that individual is he did not leave his telephone number. Mm. This happens frequently. But it suggests to me he was so upset by what he was looking at. And I think he was looking at them as he spoke. Uh, they sometimes forget some of the basics. But many of the people are report being really upset by what they saw. The two solid witnesses in Laurel, Montana, and Dillon, Montana, thought the world was coming to an end. And you can hear some of those emotions in their voices in the video that I hope to have posted to our website tomorrow. How does the, uh, the volume, in terms of the number of reports for this sighting, compare with let's say the phoenix the phoenix lights yes i think all told i talked to dr michael tanner and jim dilatoso both from phoenix who did a marvelous job of investigating and they and i and mufon sort of agree that all told between all of our organizations we received about a thousand or fifteen hundred reports for a very very dramatic event so to date, we've received only a hundred. So it uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't begin to approach the volume of reports. But uh, these lights on Saturday night, the ninth of December again, were traveling over rural areas. So uh, I don't know 
as we were talking earlier, I have no idea, no way of knowing how many people might have been able to see these objects if they had simply looked up into the night sky but did not. Give us uh, the details on how people should report to the National UFO Reporting Center and the hotline. Yeah. Well, what I like to do is talk to a witness as quickly as possible after his or her sighting of what that that witness thinks was a probable UFO. Oftentimes they are not UFOs, we discover in the final analysis. But I like to talk to the people because hearing their voice gives you a good sense of what you're dealing with and what they saw and how emotionally shocked they might have been by their sighting. And then what I encourage them to do is immediately or at their earliest convenience sit down at a computer and just using a word processing program or a blank email or whatever they use for typing prose, sit down and type up a detailed written report of what they saw. We like to know things like where they were, what the time and date were, what direction they were looking, north, south, east, or west, the angle of elevation, how big the objects appeared to be relative to a star, a planet, or a full moon, what color they were, whether they were maneuvering relative to one another, or whether it was one object, all those questions, and there are many of them, we like to have the witness uh, provide information for and submit that report using our online report form on our website at ufocenter.com. Then we post those reports uh, anonymously, of course. I wish to underscore and emphasize that point. We never reveal the names or any personal information about people who contact us, like MUFON, and uh, we'll post those reports and let let people who are interested in the UFO phenomenon know what's really going on as opposed to what all these governments want their respective citizens to think is going on. Big difference there, in my opinion. Oh, indeed. So, uh, yes, we certainly encourage people to get over to the uh, the UFO uh, reporting center. I'd like to encourage people to check out Pair Networks. If you're looking for world-class website hosting at a fair price, this is the company I want to tell you about, Pair Networks. They host hundreds of thousands of websites. And why do I recommend them? It's simple. Because they set the standard for excellence with a technical support staff that is really second to none. Their support team, they respond so quickly, I can't begin to tell you. And they always give me straight answers. And as I've said before, that's so important because when it comes to the stuff. I'm a little slow, but they have top of the line technology. That's why Pair Networks offers total reliability for your website with a money back guarantee, I might add. So whether you're a professional web designer, a busy web marketer, or you're just getting a site online, Pair Networks has a web hosting plan that's right for you. Log on and learn more at Pair.com. Let me spell it out for you. P-A-I-R dot com. P-A-I-R dot com. Pair Networks. In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was, good, good, a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are back with Peter Davenport, the director of the National UFO Reporting Center. We're talking about this mass sighting of a cluster or several clusters of uh, lights, approximately 100 lights moving from the East Coast to California, Saturday, December the 9th. And uh, again, I think it's important to note the consistency in the uh, description of these uh, these clusters by the reports that are coming in. Uh, again, red lights, uh, approximately a hundred, and 
again, the the intensity and the size of these lights. You're, you were saying, Peter, that uh, you had several descriptions where these lights were brighter and larger uh, than than Venus, as seen in the night sky. Correct? Yeah. At one location, that was the point. Or that was the point made by the witness. Of course, how they appeared to different witnesses depended entirely on their distance from those witnesses, and that would be highly variable, I would suspect. If they were seen closer up, of course, they would have appeared to be larger. Farther away from the witness, they would have been smaller and fainter. But uh, one of a couple other things I should add, Richard, is this may have been more than just a one-night episode, because on the 8th of, uh, 8th of December, and I, that's a Friday night, I reported this on Coast to Coast. We had a very dramatic sighting submitted by a woman in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. She and her husband were at their motel, I believe, and they saw several very bright orange or red lights. I think it was red. I'm going on memory now. And the reason I mentioned that case is, one, because I mentioned it on Coast to Coast during my weekly update. The other reason is the husband had between two and three decades as a naval U.S. naval aviator. Hmm. So he's probably a very discerning witness. He's seen a lot in his career, I'm sure, along the lines of ordnance and whatnot. And uh, he was completely flabbergasted, his wife said, by their sighting in uh, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. That report, by the way, for our listeners' benefit, is posted to our website, ufocenter.com. For, I believe, I'm going on memory, but it was the 8th of, uh, 8th of December, 2017. Do you think the, these two events may be related? Well, I can only conjecture on that point. This is a good question. And, in fact, it leads me back to the events of the 9th of December. I cannot certify that the objects seen in Florida and uh, South Carolina and Illinois and Missouri were the same as those seen in Colorado, Wyoming, or Montana, or Idaho, or Washington, or California but they're described by the respective witnesses identically. And the logical conclusion is we're talking about one incident. However, some of the people, for example, the witnesses in central Missouri near Rolla and uh, the Lake of the Ozarks, in some cases reported a dozen or just a handful of red lights. Other people reported several dozen or dozen or two in several clusters. And this is what leads me to suspect, absent proof, regrettably, that we're dealing not with a single object that had multiple, perhaps dozens or hundreds of lights on it, but rather a fleet or a flotilla or a cluster of individual objects. That's, in my opinion, that's significant. Are you considering a FOIA request to get uh, radar? Well, I, that's certainly a possibility, and I, uh, MUFON is much more uh, prone to investigate than I am. I'm, I work by myself, and I'm being worked to death as it is right now. That is a very good suggestion. I presume that the director of the A-team investigators for MUFON will uh, look into that. Uh, my suspicion is they did show up on radar only because the Air Force knew about them. They probably monitored them from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. But, of course, they're not going to share that with us. But uh, radar intercepts uh, would be very interesting. I would like to know what the FAA and what military radars picked up on Saturday night. Would would a ground radar report be able to determine whether these objects were transpondered or not? Oh, absolutely. Uh, most radar sends out a signal, and when that signal strikes the aircraft, if the aircraft has a transponder, the transponder is activated, and it chirps back to the radar 
its transponder set number. So a person can identify or uh, correlate a, a blip on the radar with the transponder number. So he knows which airplane that is that is generating that blip on the radar screen. But uh, again, the government controls most active radars and even some passive radars and uh, their, the government's position down here in the states is UFOs are a fiction. People like me are bereft of our senses. We don't have any idea what we're talking about. <laughs> and uh, so they don't, obviously if UFOs don't exist, they wouldn't show up on radar. Something like that. I'm speaking on behalf of the U.S. government, which is always perilous speaking on behalf of any other any other entity, but that, I suspect, would be their response. One other problem is a lot of air traffic control centers are being turned over to private enterprise. And the reason I mention that is whereas a government office or a government organization would be subject to a FOIA request, the companies that run these facilities, I've discovered already, will take the position that they are not bound by FOIA. Ah, that's their old workaround. Interesting. One of the perils of uh, privatizing the air traffic control system. So I'm sure this is one of the considerations of the government when they decided to privatize uh, some of the FAA facilities that are being run by uh, Lockheed Martin now. No doubt, no doubt. That's a clever way around it. Uh, wouldn't yep. that be something if ground radar reports showed, let's say, because people were reporting, uh, you know, 100 lights, 100 untranspondered paint skins? <laughs> wouldn't that be something? It's reminiscent of the sightings over Washington, D.C. back in uh, uh, <clears throat> July of 1952, I believe it was when they showed up on radar. That's quite a story. You mentioned passive but, radar uh, to detect UFOs. Explain, what, what is that? Well, passive radar is a very interesting concept, and it's an idea I came up with in January of 1995, and I'm still trying to convince people that we can, we can have our own disclosure with new technology that is based on a passive radar detection system. Active radar, the type that is used by the FAA and up your way in Canada as well, actually generates a beam of radio waves, a very narrow beam. And, of course, it rotates that beam in a circle. We've all seen those antennas rotating at high speed, and it sweeps the beam of electromagnetic radiation over a target, and if that target reflects that beam then it shows up on the radar screen. Well, there, it turns out there's a much, much better way of doing that, and that is using the radiated electromagnetic energy, the radio and television waves that are generated by commercial radio and TV stations, and they radiate, of course, out in all directions. They, If they are radiated out into space, they keep going forever, until they strike something that stops them. Well, it turns out that if there's something above in the atmosphere or even outside the atmosphere that reflects that wave, it is reflected back down to ground level. And you can build receivers and antennas that listen for those reflected signals. You don't generate your own signal. You just listen for a reflected radio or television signal. And I wrote a paper for the MUFON Symposium in July of 2004. I was invited by John Schusler to be one of the speakers that year. And I wanted to do something new, and so I wrote a paper on the use of passive radar to detect what I call euphemistically anomalous targets. Mm -hmm. That is, targets that are not aircraft, they're not Canadian geese, they're not trash bags floating in the atmosphere and so on. And the day MUFON published my paper on the symposium website, I got a call from a senior 
CIA officer in CIA headquarters in the Washington, D.C. area. He said, Mr. Davenport, uh, you don't know me, but I know of your work. He said, one of my retired colleagues just slipped a uh, an abstract of your paper on my desk. He said, I'm calling to congratulate you and to let you know that if you build the system that you describe in your paper, you will be successful in resolving the question of whether UFOs are real or not. Well, well, well. He, High praise, very indeed. Carefully, <laughs> yeah, and this individual, by the way, is very well known in the community of ufologists. Uh, he talks with ufologists on a regular, routine basis. He's retired now. Uh, when he first called, he said, I'm a senior officer. He said, to let you know how senior I am, I am the person who gives the president his daily briefing at 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my. You so went straight to the top. Been, yeah. So he's a Ph.D. in physics. He said he spent his first two decades with the CIA building passive radar systems for the CIA for clandestine detection of targets. And uh, it was one of the more interesting conversations I've ever had in along the lines of my UFO work, Richard, as I'm sure you can well imagine. I it can. It was quite a conversation, I'll... and I've talked to this guy since. So where are you in terms of developing this passive radar system? How much funding do you need? Well, I have a chief a gentleman who would serve as chief engineer, and about a decade ago, when I first proposed this to MUFON, I proposed a collaboration with MUFON to build a prototype, uh, debug the software, and distribute these things across the North American continent. But the chief engineer 10 years ago estimated that a prototype would cost about $750,000. 90% of that 750000 would be for writing software. So if we could find somebody who has access to large numbers of code writers, uh, it would probably be in the vicinity of a hundred to 250,000. In other words, very inexpensive relative to other uh, consequential projects. It, that's almost next to nothing. I, I have been to five billionaires and made my pitch and since January of 1995, I have yet to collect my first penny of uh, contribution. <laughs> well, maybe a GoFundMe campaign is in order, and uh, mm -hmm. let's put out the, the call uh, to all uh, computer code uh, writers to get in touch with yep. uh, Peter Davenport. Well, we'd want to uh, screen them very carefully because the government would certainly want to be involved in that project. I'm sure they'd try and slip a few in through the back door. <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> How did you become involved in, in New Fork and, and the hotline, Peter? Yeah, well, I can. Uh, that's the shortest part of my interview tonight. I can summarize my answer in two words, sheer misfortune. <laughs> <laughs> and the story of how I ended up director of the uh, National UFO Reporting Center is sort of interesting. Bob Gribble a retired Seattle fireman, retired in 1974, and he said, you know what we need is a national hotline. This is before the days of uh, the Internet, of course. Telephone was the principal means of communication. We need a hotline where people can report all of their sightings and bring all of these sightings together so we can compare them rather than having them spread over uh, any number of uh, UFO organizations. Well, one Friday night in July of 1994, now 20 years after Bob had been running his uh, hotline, uh, I was talking to a fellow MUFON member in Washington State, and he said, did you know that Bob Gribble is considering shutting down the hotline? My next call was to Bob to offer him my assistance at to help him keep the hotline going, I suspected he was burned out, which is, I suspect was the case at the time. I know what burnout feels like. 
And we were talking, and before I know it, he said, Peter, it's yours. <laughs> and from that point forward, I've been the director of the National UFO Reporting Center these last 23 years. And it it has been one of the most interesting and eye-opening and frustrating uh, tasks I've ever been saddled with. But it keeps me uh, keeps me out of trouble, Richard. And uh, uh, I think we're addressing in addressing the UFO phenomenon. We clearly are addressing the most important scientific question that has ever confronted mankind. Namely, are we alone in this universe or are we not? From my vantage point, the clear and resounding and correct answer to that question is, and as you know well from your work, we are not alone, and we are being visited routinely by these craft we call UFOs, and in my opinion, the phenomenon is coming to a head. The uh, reports I am getting suggest to me, and this is a judgment call, I don't have any kind of evidence that I could use to support it, regrettably, not yet anyway, but it appears to me that these UFOs are becoming much more willing to show themselves overtly to human beings. They're uh, like this sighting on the 9th of December. They made no attempt, apparently, to conceal themselves from witnesses on the ground or in the air. So it suggests to me that we're coming to some kind of logical conclusion, some kind of resolution to the question of whether UFOs are real or not. I'm going to ask you to, as, as we wind down here, just again, this total conjecture at this point, but <clears throat> if, you know, there is no other explanation for these lights, these are not C-17s, uh, I mean, where would this mass sighting rank in terms of, um, well, its importance? Uh, you know, let's let's put it up there with the Phoenix Lights or Stevensville or... Uh, I don't know. You tell me where, where, what is the potential here for this, for this mass sighting? Well, I think it's probably approaching the importance of the Phoenix lights event. Uh, there was a similar sighting. You may recall, I think it was in August of 2002 in Tinley park, Illinois, South, a little Southwest of Chicago. And we have been, these types of, Sightings have been filtering in from the probably the first day I uh, took over the hotline from Bob Gribble. But there was a change in late May of 2012, and people can see this on our website. Suddenly, I started receiving not just a few, but a lot of reports of clusters of red, orange, yellow, amber, and gold fireballs or orbs, people called them. And this has been going on ever since. I suspect, I can only but estimate, Richard, but I would say over the last five and a half years since this phenomenon started to heat up, I have taken probably something on the order of 10,000 to 20,000 such reports of fireballs or orbs, call them what you wish, any name would apply, but this is a relatively dramatic change from what I recall having taken place during the first 15 years or so of my tenure at the hotline. But something is going on. It's just that I'm, it's devilishly difficult to say anything with authority or to say anything that people will universally accept. All right, Peter, one more time, the uh, the website for the reports, how to file, and uh, the hotline number. Yeah. Our website, again, is very simple, UFOCENTER, UFOCENTER.com. And you're correct, we spell it C-E-N-T-E-R here down south of the border, UFOCENTER.com. There are about 114,000 reports posted there for visitors reading pleasure and we have an online report form on that website that people may use for submitting their report, irrespective of whenever it occurred. People are calling me constantly and saying, "Do you want to? Are you interested in reports from a year or a decade or eight decades ago?" We're interested in all of them, of course. 
ufocenter.com, and the UFO hotline is area code 206-722-3000, 206-722-3000. Well, Peter, I look forward to an update on uh, this remarkable mass sighting uh, that happened December the 9th, and um, thank you for joining me. I promise uh, we won't let it go so long next time. <laughs> that sounds fine. It's been delightful to make an appearance. You're fun to work with, Richard. You always do an excellent job. I commend you, and most of all, I commend you for your interest in the UFO phenomenon and your willingness to have people like me on your program. It's a very, very important subject, in my opinion, and it may have great consequence in our future on this planet. So you're doing a wonderful job, and thanks so much for doing that. Thank you, my friend. Good night. Good night. Peter Davenport, director of the National UFO Reporting Center. Well, that's episode eight, submitted for your approval. Who said that? Hmm, that kind of sounds familiar. I think I'll steal it. Just kidding, Mr. Serling. I'm off to bed for sure. Not England, I'm off to bed. But before I tuck myself in, I'm going to fill you in on what's coming up on episode nine of Conspiracy Unlimited. Before I get to that, Have you heard about this free guide you can download? It contains a list of online power tools to make you more efficient, secure, even boost your income. And best of all, this online toolbox guide is absolutely free. How do you get it? Simple. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com and grab your copy while they last. This guide has some of the very same online tools that successful business owners use every day, and each one is highly recommended. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of websites out there that'll offer a special giveaway like this, but then they want to stick you into a recurring program or some other deal. This isn't like that. There's no hidden thing to try, no credit card needed, no cost whatsoever. BrightBiz is literally giving away this online toolbox guide completely free as a means of putting their best foot forward. But this is a limited time offer, so grab your free guide today and take your business and your income to the next level. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com and get your free guide to 36 online power tools. That address again, freebusinesstoolbox.com. Next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, political commentator Megan Barth counts down the underreported stories of 2017, all the news the biased liberal mainstream media chose to ignore. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats, we need. We need constant petting. <laughs>